Good morning. All right, today we are wrapping up our series on spiritual gifts. So this is now part four out of the four-week series. In this series, we have focused on one passage of scripture, and that is Romans chapter 12, verses four through eight, which I will now read one last time. All right, Romans 12, verses four through eight. I mean, hopefully not the last time in my whole life, just this, this series is coming to a close. Um, Romans 12, starting in verse four, says, Now, as we have many parts in one body... And all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service, in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, with generosity. Leading, with diligence. Showing mercy, with cheerfulness. Um... So one, uh, on the very first week of this series, we did some general te- teaching on this passage and what it means, and then we took two weeks to talk about the gifts that are listed in verses six through eight, the gifts of prophecy, teaching, exhortation, serving, giving, leading, and showing mercy. Um, and two weeks ago, we covered three of those seven gifts, and then last week, we covered the remaining four. And so for this week, I wanted to wrap up by addressing a question that I was asked over the course of this series. And the question is, what about the lists of gifts that are in other places in the Bible? Right? Romans 12 is not the only place that lists spiritual gifts. What about those other lists? Specifically, I was asked, what about the list of gifts in 1 Corinthians? And so today I'm going to read a short section of, from the book of 1 Corinthians because I think it will help us to address two topics that we have We've touched on, but we have not fully covered in this series so far. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read to you verses 27 through 30. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 27, it says this. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Let me pause there. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it's the same thing he said in Romans 12, right? It's the same thing. And then in Romans 12, after he said that, he listed gifts that different people have, right? And so here he does the same thing. You are the body of Christ, individual members of it. And then look at the next verse, verse 28. And God has placed these in the church. And now what you're going to see is another list. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, managing various kinds of languages. And then after that list, there's a, there's a series of um, rhetorical questions. I say they're rhetorical because it seems obvious to me the answer to every one of these questions is no. He says, are all apostles? Well, of course not. Not everybody's an apostle. Are all prophets? Of course not. Not everybody's a prophet, right? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other languages? Do all interpret? Um, <clears throat> So when you look at this list, um, particularly the list that's found in verse 28, okay, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, when you look at this list, um, one of the things you'll notice is there's some overlap between this list and the one in Romans 12. Do you see it? Um, The word prophets in this passage corresponds to the word prophecy in Romans chapter 12. Um, The word teachers in this passage corresponds to the word teaching in Romans chapter 12. Um, The word... Uh, helping, where is it? <clears throat> I believe this corresponds to the word serving in Romans chapter 12. Um, in, the, the word helping and the word serving in English and in Greek, as best as I can tell, are synonyms. Okay, so I can't imagine that the Apostle Paul, when he lists the gift of helping here, was thinking that the gift of helping is something wildly different than the gift of serving, okay? It's, it's just another word for it. And the same thing happens with the next word, managing. Managing would correspond to what gift? 
leading. Yeah, now it's a different word. Just like in English, managing and leading are two different words, and yet they're synonyms. I believe that's the same thing <clears throat> in the Greek. So we talked about the word that's uh, translated leader in, uh, or, or leading in uh, Romans chapter 12, means one who presides over. Um, in this one, I looked it up, the word managing, I've, uh, you, you see it in Acts chapter 27, and in that case, it's, it's, trans, it's a noun form of this word, and it's translated captain. And I don't know if you remember this story or not, but when we were doing the series on the life of Paul, do you remember that there was one episode in Paul's life where he was on a ship and there was a huge storm that hit? Yeah, you remember that? And there was a point where just before they were about to go off into the storm, Paul was saying like, don't go, we shouldn't go, we're all gonna die. And it specifically says the centurion that was in charge, he listened to the owner of the ship and the captain of the ship rather than listening to Paul. That word captain, the one who steers or pilots the ship, that's that that. That same word, the form of it is translated here as managing. It's one who pilots or steers a thing. So when I look at that, I go, okay, so it seems to be the same thing as the gift of leadership in Romans 12. And so when I look at this list, I see there's at least, it looks like there are four words that overlap. Prophecy is in both lists. Teaching is in both lists. Helping or serving is in both lists. Managing or leading is in both lists. But there are also new gifts in this list that are not mentioned in Romans 12. Did you notice that? right? You've got apostles, you've got gifts of healing, you've got various kinds of languages. In this case, various kinds of languages. If you look at what he says before and after this passage, you can tell that that's referring to what is often called speaking in tongues, various tongues. I don't think he's saying that God, like some Christians speak German. I don't think that's his point here, right? He's saying various kinds of language, gifts of healings, prophecies, miracles. There are these, there's these other things that seem to be more supernatural than a lot of the ordinary gifts that you see in Romans 12 that are in this list. Do you agree that there are some like miraculous things on this list more so than the other list? Yeah, we should. I mean, I, speaking in tongues is, would be miraculous, right? Isn't it? Um, healing. I mean, even if you don't agree with that, goodness gracious, one of them, one of the, one of the gifts is called miracles. So you got, there's no way you can be like, of course, this is a miraculous gift. It's like by definition, there are the, the gifts on this list are more miraculous and more supernatural. At least some of them are than some of the more ordinary ones in Romans 12. However, some of those from Romans 12 are also on this list. And so what I think is, I think this list can lead us to ask two sets of questions that we have touched on, but we have not covered extensively yet. And here they are. The questions are going to come on the screen. Question number one, are the miraculous gifts, like speaking in tongues, something that mostly only happened a long time ago, or are they for today? What do Christians believe about this? And then question number two, or sets of question number, set, question number two set, is are all the spiritual gifts listed in the Bible, or are these just partial lists? And if they're not all in there, how can I know my gift, right? Do you want to know the answer to these two questions? Good, I'm hoping, because that's, that's what I prepared to do today. I don't, have any, I don't have any other sermon prepared, okay? So question number one, let's go ahead and go with that one first. Are the miraculous gifts, like speaking in tongues, something that mostly only happened a long time ago, or are they for today? What do Christians believe about this? So as I answer this, I guess to answer the question, what do Christians believe about this? I'm going to tell you two things that Christians believe about this, because pretty much everything that every Christian believes about the answer to those questions falls under two categories. And so if you could put up my two words, the two words, what Christians believe about this are cessationism and continuationism. And I say and, it's, I guess it's typically or. They, you, the, the two beliefs within Christianity are cessationism or continuationism. Those are the two views of the, these kind of giftings that are found among like Christians in the world. So let me go ahead and define what they mean. First of all, cessationism. Cessationist means a little bit like what it sounds like. The people who are cessationists, they believe that there was a thing that happened and it continued to happen. And then one day it ceased. 
right? That's why there's cessation in the word. Like there was a cessation. There was a thing that started and it continued and then it ceased. It stopped happening, okay? And in this case, the, what, the, the, what the word means for Christians who believe on these things, they would say, in the time period of the New Testament, there were miraculous things happening. There were times when Agabus showed up and he predicted there'd be a famine the next year and they were speaking in tongues and there was healings and there were miracles and they would say all of that happened and it continued to happen until a point where it didn't anymore and it ceased and that it no longer happens now, that these gifts are not being given out now. That's what cessationism means. Continuationism is really easy to figure out. What does that mean? Those are the people who believe there was a thing that started, okay, it continued, and then it did not cease. It continued on. It continues on to this day, okay? That is continuationism. And so when applied to this topic, when people say they're a continuationist, almost always what they are saying is there were miraculous things that happened during the time period of the New Testament, and those things have continued on. Those gifts have continued on to this day. So I have now defined the two terms. Now what I'd like to do is I'd like to defend them. By that I mean I want to like defend cessationism and continuationism, okay? I want to teach you cessationism from the point of view of someone who believes in cessationism and then teach you continuationism from the point of view of someone who believes in continuationism, right? I wanna teach you both perspectives and hopefully by the time I'm done with this, you will see why I'm teaching you both perspectives. But let's do one at a time. And I'm just gonna, we don't have a ton of time this morning. So I'm gonna try to give you the five minute case for cessationism. And I'm gonna follow that up with the five minute case for continuationism. So let's start with cessationism. Five minute case for cessationism. For this, we're gonna go to Hebrews chapter two. If you have your Bible with you, go to Hebrews chapter two. I'm gonna start reading in verse three. Hebrews chapter two. Starting in verse three. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was first spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. So first of all, we got the right Bible verse, right? We're in a series on spiritual gifts and we just read the one that talks about the distribution of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. So we're in the right place. Now, what is it? What, what does this verse teach us about these distribution of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will? Well, it seems to me that the distribution of gifts according to the Holy Spirit that are being referred to here would be the more miraculous ones, okay? It comes in this list with signs and wonders and various miracles. And um, the whole point of it is that that which was the gospel was, was spoken by the Lord and it was confirmed. It was confirmed how? With miracles and signs of wonders and these gifts from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't seem likely that he's saying it was the gift of serving or the gift of leadership that confirmed the gospel, but rather it was this, these miraculous things, speaking in tongues and people who had supernatural knowledge of things that they shouldn't have known, people who were giving prophecies, people who were touching people and they were being healed. So what does it say about that? Let's go up to the top, all right? How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? The, here, the escape here is escaping God's judgment. How in the world will we escape God's judgment if we neglect such a great salvation, meaning Jesus? If we reject Jesus and his message and what he has done for us when he died on the cross, if we neglect that, how will we escape judgment? And then look what it says about the great salvation of Jesus. It says, it was first spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Now, I want you to notice there are two generations of Christians in that verse, right? You've got the Lord. The Lord is the one, he's the first one to speak of his great salvation. The first person to preach the gospel in that sense is the Lord, right? Jesus showed up. He was the first person to speak the great salvation. He spoke it to who? 
the first generation of Christians, in this verse, they are called those who heard him. There were people who heard from Jesus directly, like they heard the gospel from his mouth, right? They heard about the great salvation from Jesus directly. They saw him um, multiply loaves and fishes and turn water into wine. They, they were taught directly by him. And the first generation of those people who the Lord spoke to and they heard him, there were miracles that were done among those people, right? There were prophets who were prophesying. There were people who were healing. Like, uh, some of these people who heard him would be like people like Peter and John who healed paralyzed people. So I want you to notice now, it's saying there's this great salvation that was announced by the Lord. It was announced to the first generation of Christians, those who heard him, they got it directly from him. And then they confirmed it to who? To us. There's a second generation of Christians mentioned in this verse. They're not the same as the people who heard him, okay? So there's the people who spoke, the Lord spoke directly to, right? That's, that's the first generation of Christians that were there. And then they confirmed the message to a second generation of Christians and that's the us in this passage. So this would be like when, when the writer of Hebrews and the people that he was writing to, he was writing decades after the Jesus stuff took place, right? The stuff that took place during Jesus's life and right after Jesus's life, that stuff took place. And then decades later, we've got the writer of Hebrews who's saying, there was this great gospel that was spoken to these people. And then here we are, we aren't those people. We're a generation later. And it was confirmed to us by those people. Do you see that? So do you see that there's two generations of people here? There's the ones who heard him and, then the, and they confirmed it to a second group of people. Now look, how'd they confirm it to those people? It says, at the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. The writer of Hebrews seems to be saying there were these miraculous things that happened that confirmed it. And he seems to be talking about something that, not something that was happening, but something that had happened. Do you see that? that when the first generation of Christians confirmed it to us, there were these miraculous things that happened. That's what the confirmation was. It seems like the writer of Hebrews, when he's making his argument, hey, do not neglect such a great salvation. You need to trust in Jesus. You need to keep trusting in Jesus. And when he makes his argument why you ought to believe, it's interesting. He doesn't say the reason you ought to believe is because look, look at the miracles that are happening among us. Look at the people who are speaking in tongues and prophesying and healing. Look, like this is what's happening before our very eyes. That's why we should believe. That doesn't seem to be the argument. The argument seems to be those things did happen and it was confirmed. The idea being that the gifts had already begun to cease in the latter half of the time period when the New Testament was written. So that's like the five-minute case for cessationism. Now let's do the five-minute case for continuationism. For this one, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to start reading in verse 8. <clears throat> it says this, Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for languages, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. So let's, what, what is this talking about here? I think this is talking about the supernatural, miraculous giftings of the Holy Spirit, right? Prophecies will come to an end. When it says languages will cease, you can tell from the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians or even just logic, this is, not saying, this is talking about speaking in tongues, right? This is not, I don't think it's saying, and there will come a day when no one talks anymore, right? I don't think it's saying there's coming a day when languages will cease, right? It's this supernatural language thing that's happening. That's going to cease one day. Same thing for the next one. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. I don't think he's saying there's going to come a day when no one knows anything, right? He's saying this supernatural knowledge of like, there's a famine coming next year. There's going to come a day when that ends. 
the prophecies, the languages, the supernatural knowledge, there will come a day that it will come to an end. Now notice he doesn't say it has come to an end. He's saying it will come to an end. It will cease at some point. Now the cessationist would go, yeah, that's what I'm screaming. That happened. That happened 1900 years ago. The continuationist would say, let's keep reading, okay? As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. So you can tell that, that, that Paul is saying here, there is this thing that's called the partial. It's really obvious that the partial is referring to the, the prophecies and the speaking in tongues and the miracles and the supernatural knowledge and all that. The partial will come to an end when the perfect comes, okay? That word can also mean like the completion, the fulfillment, when something is all the way done, come, you know, come to like fullness of age or completed or fully mature or however you want to look at it, but that's what that word means, okay? So when the final fulfillment, when the, when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. Well, what's the perfect? Now, if you're a cessationist, you're going to have to say that the perfect is something that took place about 1,900 years ago, but let's keep reading. When the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put, a, I put aside childish things. And at that point, you may go, whoa, seems like he just really changed the topic all of a sudden. And I don't think he did. I think this is a metaphor. I think he's talking about his own life. Like there was this time where he was growing up and there were these times of childish things and then he became fully mature, right? There was, the, there was the time where he was like a partial person and then the time where he became a full-grown adult, right? There was a time where there were childish things, they were temporary things, and then there comes the point where I became a full-grown adult which is the same idea of there's the partial until the perfect comes, right? It's just a metaphor. But it doesn't tell us when is that? When is that thing gonna happen? So let's keep reading, okay? Verse 12. For now, we see indistinctly as in a mirror, right? So at the time he's writing this, he's saying right now is the time of partial. The perfect hasn't come yet. Right now we see indistinctly as in a mirror. But then, like when the perfect comes, then we will see, what does it say? face-to-face. So we're going to see something or someone face-to-face. And then look at the last part. Now I know in part, right? This is the time of partial. But then I will know fully as I am fully known. And I think that there are quite a number of people who would say that has got to be referring to the second coming of Christ, that there is no way that you could say that the, the, the founding of the New Testament church or the, the, the time that the last book of the Bible was written, that that's the time where we see face to face and we know fully as we are fully known. This has got to be a reference to the second coming. But if it's, a second to the, if it's a reference to the second coming, has the second coming happened yet? No, it hasn't happened yet, which would mean what? <gasps> that the gifts continue on until that day. So that is the five-minute case for continuationism. Okay, if you go, well, I didn't think you did a very good job. Okay, sorry. I, I, had, I gave it five minutes each and I feel like I did as good as I could with five minutes explaining those two views the way someone who believes those views might say it. Okay, those are the two points of view. The two points of views are, yes, God did these things and then they were temporary because they were for a confirmation of the thing that happened at the time and then they ceased. The other view is, no, they were said, it was said that they would continue on until the second coming of Jesus Christ. He has not returned. Now, I imagine at this point you might go, okay, Mario, so which one is the right one? Right? So you, do you want to know? Okay, here's my answer. I don't know which one is the right one. I only know which one I think is the right one. And I'm not going to tell you which one I think is the right one 
because I don't think this is an issue that needs to divide us, right? There are smart, godly people who believe this. There are smart, godly people who believe this. There is no reason to divide over this. And I don't, I don't think we should like break fellowship over disagreement on these beliefs. And yet it happens. I'm sure some of you have seen it happen where one group of people says, oh yeah, that's that other group of people. We don't believe what they believe because like we take the Bible seriously, right? And they don't take the Bible seriously. And then the other group goes, oh yeah, yeah, those people over there, they're, they're a different kind of Christian than we are, honey. We don't hang out with them. Oh, please. We should be united in Christ, Amen. Yes, listen, Jesus died on the cross for sins and those who believe in him are forgiven of their sins and they are brought into the same family as all the other people who believe in him and got their sins forgiven by him, right? We're all in the same household. And so I would say, feel free to have an opinion about this. Feel free to be able to explain what you believe about this and be able to defend what you believe about this. In fact, I would assume there are many of you who had an opinion about this before you walked in today. And once I started preaching, you wanted to know if I agree with you. And what I'm saying is, there is something more important than whether I agree with you. The more important thing is to be able to understand where the other side is coming from, why they believe what they believe, and to recognize them as brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, second question. Are all the spiritual gifts listed in the Bible are these partial lists. And if every gift is not listed, how can I know my gift? So the idea here is you showed us this list in Romans, but then there's a different one over in 1 Corinthians. So like, how do you know what all the gifts are? Because there's different lists in the Bible. And so I would say this, it seems to me that the lists of gifts in the Bible are partial lists, that they are not exhaustive lists of every single gift that God gives because some of the lists repeat some of the gifts from other lists, but do not repeat all of them. And some of the lists have gifts that only appear on that one list and they don't appear on other ones. And sometimes, at least one time in the Bible, you'll see a gift, like a special ability from God, and it appears in the Bible with no list. In fact, I'll show you one of those. Look at uh, Exodus chapter 35. Exodus chapter 35, starting in verse 30. This is during the time period where Moses is getting commands from God and they're about to build the tabernacle. The Israelites are about to build the tabernacle. It says this, Moses then said to the Israelites, look, the Lord has appointed by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. He has filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom, understanding, and ability in every kind of craft to design artistic works in gold, silver and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting and to carve wood for work in every kind of artistic craft. He has also given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahizamak, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all the work of a gem cutter, a designer, an embroiderer in purple, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, and a weaver. They can do every kind of craft and design artistic designs." Bezalel, Aholiab, and all the skilled people are to work based on everything the Lord has commanded. The Lord has given them wisdom and understanding to know how to do all the work of constructing the sanctuary. So here we have a kind of creative ability or craftsmanship that God gave to these people. It's a gift that was to be used for God's glory. And I don't think there's any place in the New Testament that lists it as one of the gifts. 
And yet I don't see any reason why we shouldn't believe that God still gifts people in these ways. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is if you do not immediately resonate with the gifts that are listed in the New Testament, don't freak out. Okay, just keep serving the Lord. Keep serving the Lord. If you go, well, I don't know what my gift is. What if my gift's not here? Listen, don't freak out. Just keep serving the Lord and notice the places where you see success. Notice the places where you serve and it goes well and you walk away going, hey, I just did a good thing. Like I just, that event was more, like, was more valuable because I was there and did my part. Or this, I just added value to that relationship. That thing just went better because I went there and did this thing. Notice the places where you experience joy. Notice the times you serve the Lord and you, then, and you walk away and you go, oh, I wish I could serve God like that all the time. Notice the places where you get positive feedback from other Christians, where you serve the Lord and then someone says, thank you. Thank you for ministering to me in that way. Or the group of people say, oh, we wish you would come and do this every week. Like notice those and then do more of that. What you'll probably find out is, is that you do have one or more of the gifts listed in the New Testament. But even if you don't, as long as you are living for God, ministering to other Christians and ministering to people who do not know God yet, that's what matters. And if you, I, don't, I don't think it matters if you label everything correctly, okay? If you serve your whole life without, find out, without finding out that that gift is called service, that's fine, okay? I, it's not ideal, but I think it's fine. The important thing is for you to trust God, to live for him, to minister to other people in the best way that you know how. Jesus gave his life to redeem us, and that's one of the reasons why. Thanks. That concludes our series on spiritual gifts. Let's pray. We worship you. We thank you for your word. I pray for those of us who have friends that believe different things than we do on this. I pray you'd help us to treat them as brothers and sisters in Christ, and I thank you that you've adopted us all into the same household. Didn't build some little apartment building where some of us are gonna go on one side and the other people on the other side, we don't ever see each other. But you brought us together as a family. I pray you'd help us to treat each other that way. I'm sure that there are some people in this room who know what their gifts are. And I pray that you would help those people to persevere, have the courage to do what you've called them to do, have the like strength to keep doing what you've called them to do. And I would imagine there's people in this room that go, I don't, I don't exactly know what my gift is. And I pray that they would, I pray you'd give them the, the perseverance to keep serving you, even if they don't have a label for it, even if they don't know what it's called. I pray that they would continue to serve you. I pray that you would help us to be a church that uses our gifts as members of your body. And we thank you for giving us the grace of these gifts and for saving us and caring about us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.